This is Born to Create, a podcast that celebrates the richness of free thinking through creativity, entrepreneurship, and the advancement of the Madison area. Hosted by Richard Jones Jr. and Carla Williams, with sponsorship by Oddly Arranged Media. All right, you are listening to the Born to Create podcast, a podcast that focuses on creativity, entrepreneurship um, in the city of Madison. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Richard Jones Jr. And I'm Carla Williams. Today we have a special guest, Madison's own Andrell Davis. How you doing, Ma? I am well. I cannot complain. And I am feeling, again, joyful because I'm on the air with you guys. Most definitely. You are also our first uh, guest to come in via the phone. So we're excited to have you. Oh, well, it's always good to be a pioneer. Yes. And that you are. <laughs> Truly. I still remember when you had that very first um, African-American Ethnic Academy. Do you remember that? I remember it. I have remnants of the African-American Ethnic Academy all over my home. As a matter of fact, during... Um, the holiday season, I ran across a backdrop. Um, it's an African village backdrop that was made at the African American Ethnic Academy, and it brought so much joy. And even a couple of people that came to visit that were participants in the academy remembered it. And again, it was another thing that brought joy to our lives. And I was so excited to be able to walk around my house and see some of the things that um, were created at the Academy. I also have some banners in my family room with the Dinkra symbols on them that were made at the Academy. So yes, indeed. I remember the Academy. Can you tell us what it, what it was a little bit for people who don't know? Sure. So the African American ethnic Academy was a Saturday academic and cultural enrichment program. And it got its name because there was a group called African American Educators Association, and they uh, created the academy before my husband and I came on board. We grew the program from about 12 students to 125, and we had we served preschool through eighth grade students in what our theme was called um, Living Smart, which is science, math, art, reading, technology and self-esteem courses, and we um, had the kids, they met from 8 o'clock until noon. What other things, or how did you get to a place now where it's like you can take something like an African-American Ethnic Academy and get to this Black educa- Black History Education Conference? How do you transition from that to this? So I had a talk for several years at Lincoln Elementary School close to 20 years, and then also became a district administrator with the Madison School District. Um, and I, I actually, the position that was created for me at the district level came out of what was happening at the African American Ethnic Academy. So I became a, a district level um, uh, coordinator for um, equity and diversity. Actually, I was the first. And then I I transitioned from that position into I was the nation's first director of African-American student achievement, which was a position that I fought for. Um, And so um, from that, the state got wind of what I was doing, and they offered me a position at the state level. And I currently have a team of people that I supervise, but I trained in what we had learned at the African-American Ethnic Academy 
created a professional development model, and now we train that model across the entire state of Wisconsin. So as I was traveling around the state, I noticed that there were some pockets of excellence around Black achievement, and I wanted to try to find a way to bring those pockets of excellence together. I also um, wanted to speed up um, our sense of urgency around uh, filling in some of the gaps that we all have talked about, the attitude, opportunity, achievement gaps for black students. So I started talking to the powers that be. And again, I wasn't really satisfied with the pacing. And so I said, you know what? I see all these people. I see all of these resources. I was working with a national group and we found 22 interventions that proved positive outcomes to black students. So I said, I want to bring all of these people together and really um, demonstrate how you carry out those 22 interventions. So the first year of the Black History Education Conference was about bringing the best of the best that I, um, you know, was seeing in my work, was seeing locally, um, seeing in my travels across the nation. And now the Black History Education Conference has um, helped me, as I mentioned in the beginning, strike that balance because we have a student strand that, you know, we've worked with Omega Psi Phi fraternity, oh, yeah. um, Richard is a part of, and, um, you know, bringing the talent hunt. Um, they also, we also now have uh, elementary programming. This will be our first year where we have elementary programming. We're partnering with CBS Wisconsin. They're going to be doing a, a, a workshop called Your Star, um, celebrating black scientists with PBS Wisconsin. So now we have you know, the offerings that we're going to be having for the adults, but we also have children's programming as well. Um, I wanted to kind of follow up and I noticed a trend from what you were saying was that your primary goal was like to educate people. Was it like, was it specifically educating black people or was it educating people on blackness or like black culture? When I reflect back on the journey, it's been about bridging, you know, uh, culture and really getting to a place where people understand the whys around how we may function as a certain group of people. And so with the professional development model that I created, there's a, a heavy focus and emphasis on African-American language, which is different um, than another area we focus on, Black communications. Black communications actually has seven features to it. And so I teach about that. and. What I've noticed is a lot of the disproportionality in school suspensions and, um, uh, you know, in, in other areas, they really stem from misunderstandings around the black communication system. We've also focused on culturally relevant family engagement practices, culturally relevant literacy practices. What are some cultural values that we may live by that may look different than other groups? And um, just, you know, culturally relevant uh, classroom management practices. So we had six areas that we looked at that, again, sprang up out of our work from the academy. And we take people on a seven experience journey under one of those areas. And so, again, my work has really been about bridging um, cultures and bridging some of the things that students may not know about the um, 
teachers that are before them and bridging some information that teachers may not know about some of the students that are before them. I love that. I love that. Well, while we're talking about the conference, um, can you tell us how much it costs for a teacher to attend a conference? How much does it cost for a student? And then how much does it cost for a child? Sure. So for an adult this year, we had um, a specific uh, kind of a teaser to get people to register early. And so the first 100 people that registered is $100. And then they, um, thereafter, the rate is $125. We have a college student rate of $50. And then we have a high school student rate of free. And we also have elementary school student, the PBS Wisconsin workshop will also be offered free. And we have a range of group rates as well. We have some organizations that wanted to bring large numbers of their staff members. And so we've created some group rates as well. And so we, we're really proud of how we've been able to bring our costs down this year with it being offered virtually. And with that, we've been able to expand our reach across the country um, of people being able to attend. We're close to 300 people registered already, and we have a couple of weeks left. So um, we're ahead of where we are normally are scheduled around this time, and we're just really excited about that. That's amazing. So um, you said you got a lot of people registered already. Um, and this podcast is sponsored by Oddly Arranged Media. What we really want to do is um, really work with our, our guests, and we also want to make sure that we support them in their creative endeavors. And so I want to ask, what would be more beneficial um, for us to uh, sponsor a student um, or um, you know, like, like a college student or a couple college students, or would it be more beneficial for us to sponsor um, an adult? So I, long story short, and to answer your question, I think, a balanced approach, maybe one adult and one student would be great. And I do have a specific adult in mind who um, attends our church. <laughs> well, hey, check this out. Uh, Ily Arranged Media will sponsor that adult and one college student. How does that sound for you? That sounds amazing. We are truly, truly grateful for that. Like I said, what the long, well, I didn't say this before, but I want to say this now. The long-term goal is for this conference to grow from a seed um, locally to an international conference. And so um, with your help in that way, you are truly helping us reach our goal as well as being able to reach more people who can impact those outcomes we talked about earlier and it does, you know, when I think about people helping, this is home, school, and community. When people say, well, what is your target audience? I say, you know, we're trying to target home, school, and community because we know the more that we can come together again, collective work and responsibility, I think the bigger our impact. You see, so you did a lot of talking about being the first in a lot of the roles and positions that you took on. So... One of the things that we like to talk about is creativity and those sort of things. And I think that being the first requires a certain level of creativity. So I would love for you to kind of tell us a little bit about 
what it was like for you to be the first. Like, what was it like for you mentally? What was it like for you spiritually, emotionally? What gave you the the drive or desert or like whatever it is that you felt to want you to keep going? Because I mean, you originally told us that you were a teacher. Can you start there? Yes. So I um, I grew up in a way where I knew from my mother that I was going to attend college. But I didn't know what I was going to go to college for. And I had originally thought that I wanted to um, major in music. And I realized that I didn't have the background. I, I was very well known in my community and in my high school for um, my singing voice. And so I really thought that that's what I was going to be going to school for. But I did not have any of the technical training around that. And so I was, uh, I attended University of Wisconsin-Madison and I had never been on the campus before the first day my mother dropped me off. And my mother didn't have, um, you know, a college background. So she really didn't know about all of the um, work on the front end that probably should have been done. And so as I navigated my way through University of Wisconsin-Madison, I came to a crossroads and asked myself, what was it that I really wanted to do? And my mother said, well, you've always been good with seniors, older people, and you've always been really good with children. And I had a friend, Michelle Bell Navis, who was majoring in education, took a couple of courses with her, and I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. And so um, I went through, you know, the education program, graduated, but still had a love for singing and music, the arts, so to speak. And so what I ended up doing was incorporating a lot of um, my music background into my teaching. And so, you know, a lot of people talk about hip hop and curriculum and I had, you know, back then I had Cool Modi up on my bullet, bulletin boards in my classroom. And I wrote rap a long, 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 long time ago before oh, it became, wow. you know. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, like one. Now here is the reading situation. When you come to a word that you don't know, sound it out. Don't sit there and pout. If that doesn't work, use context clues. You dig? Doug, that's a story lore rule. Now, as you read, keep these things in mind. The who, the what, the how, where, and why. The who, the what, the how, where, and why. The characters are setting and the problems, too. How the problem got solved, now you know what to do. Now our rap is about to end. So open up a book and meet a friend. A friend. <laughs> a friend. <Hey>. A friend. <laughs> a friend. A friend. A friend. A friend. A friend. I said, little bow wow, you just don't know how to teach reading. So I'm going to show how books run through my mind, like all the time to the point that I just want to say, come on, the on my mind, on not represents that, on my mind, on not represents that, on my mind, on not represents that. Stop and read a book. Okay, can we just like, can we let that breathe? Like, wow. Yo, first off, I was practicing my chicken head over here. You couldn't see, but I was almost getting it. Second off, I really wanted to beatbox, but I know it's a delay, so I didn't want to mess you up. Like, like we had a rapper here, and he didn't even rap. Wow. Literally, you are the first person to rap on the podcast. It's official. Wow, thank you. So that's one of many. 
And that's where that's where my son get it from, Richard. <laughs> all of them, all your sons. <laughs> yes, yes, that yes, was great. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. So anyway, yeah, just taking what I thought I was going to um, major in and incorporated that you know those things that I love into my teaching and. Um, I just have continued to do that. Richard knows about the breast bag program that came out of, you know, it's at basically African-American school in a backpack. I was asleep one night and I sat up. I was, I, it wasn't a dream. I was awake and I just started thinking about all the, so, the social media I had been inundated with about, you know, black and brown children falling further behind with the virtual learning. And I was literally in a panic, like sweating. And I was thinking I have to do something, but I have, you know, some, some um, medical issues that I knew I couldn't do much. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to make these bags. They're going to be African-American school in the backpack, science, social studies, reading, math, and um, creative arts expression. And I'm going to try to figure out how I can get these bags out to kids so that they can, combat some of what they were seeing, you know, around the George Floyd and around racism and, you know, the pandemic and with the virtual learning and had the wonderful, just amazing opportunity to work with Richard, to work with Dr. Gloria Lassen-Billings, to work with Mount Zion Church, to launch those bags out into the community. And, um, the bags now, I just got pictures as of yesterday. The bags are in Gambia and they're wow. in a school and they want, they want, they want more of the bags. So between now and December, I'm going to go to Gambia and take more bags to this school that really needs them. And so just really looking at the needs around our, our local community, around the world and just thinking of ways that I can come up with connecting with, again, that balance with adults, connecting with students, and filling in some of those gaps and moving from just talking about things to really taking action and doing something, moving from knowing to doing. Most definitely. Yo, you said so much just then, and I want to take some time to break some of that down for our listeners. Um, First off, those breathe bags uh, that you put together, uh, were truly a blessing. They were truly a blessing. So I want to first uh, start by saying thank you so much um, for, um, you know, being obedient uh, to what was given to you um, and sharing yeah. that to the community because that was a very, very big deal. Um, I want to just for a second explain uh, the program that we did in the summer. Um, so mm-hmm. um, we did a program called Smartly in the Park. Um, it was um idealized and um, put together uh, by um, our our guest, Mama Davis, Andrea Davis, and uh, Dr. Gloria Lassen-Billings. Um, they did some brainstorming on how we could um, do some do some work in the community and help our kids throughout the summer. Um, we know that, you know, regularly in the summer when kids are not engaged in education in the same type of way, we know that they come back in the fall and they're a little rusty, right? So we call that the summer slide. And we also knew that um, coming into um, a new school year after uh, switching halfway um, in the spring from in-person classes to virtual learning, we knew that um, some kids didn't get the things that they needed educationally 
Um, so we knew that they also had a COVID slide. And so uh, Smartly in the Park was a response to that. Um, it was a program uh, focused on um, teaching uh, STEM um, a program and culture relevant program uh, to, to black students and African-American students and students of color um, right there on the south side of Madison. Uh, so we met three days a week um, at Penn Park. Um, and the goal was to be completely opposite of what was going on in virtual learning. Um, we did everything um, without a screen. We didn't use a screen. We didn't use a computer. Um, so these breathe bags uh, that Mama Davis is talking about uh, were essential. They were the core um, of the curriculum that we put together, um, and they were very, very enriching. Um, and it was my job to just kind of weave together the program. And um, these bags were amazing, um, and they were also not one size fits all, right? So we're not putting the exact same thing in every single bag. Um, can you explain a little bit about um, the varying bags and kind of how they were different from one another? Yes. One of the big pieces um, of how they're different is I actually interviewed the adults that are purchasing the bag. And I try to find out something about each child and their personality. Now, and then um, even though there's a theme in the bag, there will be something in that bag in most cases, not all, but in most cases, there will be something that will be personalized that is centered around information that I've gotten from the adults. Um, and also, that, that creative side that we've been talking about, I may sit and start to create a bag and it might have a basic structure that I followed for several bags, but then I find myself kind of venturing off and putting something a little different, you know, in each one based on how I'm feeling or again, based on the information that I've gotten about the child. Most definitely. And they were also divided by um, some age groups too as well, right? Yes, so they have taken on a new shape and form since we collaborated. I actually, oh, wow. um, yeah, I, I actually worked with a school where I was creating bags every two weeks. I was creating 22 bags every two weeks. And wow. the, 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 the way that these bags went is that I took their curriculum map. I looked at what the curriculum map was. I created the bags based on what their curriculum map said they needed to be working on. I did have the freedom of picking and choosing what I wanted to um, choose off of the curriculum map, but I used their curriculum map. I created bags for kindergarten up through sixth grade every two weeks. And um, I also did professional development with the teachers of that school. They would come and pick the bags up. And then I would teach them how to use their bag. And I created a curriculum, my own curriculum map based on that bag. So I went way deep. And so I told the teachers, you know, this is the concept. Here's the item in the bag that goes along with the concept, all while still trying to keep the bag culturally relevant. So they got a 30-minute professional development um, opportunity each Sunday um, at, when they picked the bags up to start the new week and then they would work from that bag for two weeks. And then by the, by the time the two weeks was over with, I would have another rotation of bags ready for them. 
Speaking of slicing the balance, I feel like we've heard a lot about Andro the creator and Andro the teacher and the educator. I would love to hear more about like Andro the woman. Like what happens in your life? How are things with you? Like right now we're in this like we we just transitioned or I guess we're still in this place of like civil unrest. And I know for me like going through the whole the summer and the, this past year how being a black woman was just so it felt hard and it felt heavy. How was it for you? Well, honestly, seeing all of these accomplishments that black women are making, it feels a little liberating. It feels, um, I feel affirmed in a lot of what I've, you know, been doing. And also in some ways I have this, I don't know, I guess, Maybe on the other side, I look and I say, wow, you know, there have been so many people that have been doing this work for a long time. And we're at a place where we're reaching um, a place where it's time for us to pass the torch. And maybe not all the way, but in some ways. And the thing, the thing that I really want that I think about a lot is that I look at a lot of people in our community and I can see their stories and I can remember what they did. And when you guys get to our age, you're going to be looking at young people and saying, do they remember? Do they remember what we did? You know, do they remember the past that we set? Do they remember um, the doors that we've opened? Do they remember us or are we just has been like, Today, before this interview, I was like, do people know that I was the program director at the South Madison Neighborhood Center before it was the Boys and Girls Club? Like, do people know that? You know, do people know that I used to work at Pearlie's, which was a local bar, to make money to go to school? And I was very well connected in the community or you know, like you said, Carla, do people remember the academy or do people remember a lot of different things that you did? Because when you get to our age, it's like you some ways feel like a has been and you feel like people don't know the story. And these kinds of opportunities really allow us to be able to tell the story. And also, I just I wanted to say to Richard that. It really meant a lot to me in the way that you approached me in my work this summer and the, the reverence and the respect and, the you know, checking in and the, this is what your value is. This is what you're worth. And it meant so much to me. And it's what I have been wanting for so long or how Carla will check in, you know, through Facebook and, you know, remind me of things that she knows about my family and about, you know, how are you just checking in? It just, it means so much. And so for me, it's been a happy time because I see Kamala Harris, who is my sorority sister, leading the country and, you know, Stacey Abrams and the impact that she's had on, you know, people getting out and voting and in so many other arenas and um, Keisha Lance Bottoms and just so many women, even in our state, Carolyn Sanford Taylor and Dr. Gloria Lassen Billings and 
just, you know, Sheila Stubbs, all of these people that are that, that, that are taking their place as first and as, you know, black women, as African-American women, it's been a time for me to really look and see what the accomplishments have been, but also a time to recognize people who recognize me and my work and many others. I'm not the only person. And so um, I, those are the mixed emotions that I carry around, around being joyful, around being um, reflective and asking the questions. Uh, you know, you see the same leaders all the time in the community. And I look at a lot of the leaders and I, and I say, I wish I had a time, chance to sit down and talk with you and you receive the information in the way that I would want you to receive it so that we could collaborate as an older generation with a middle generation with a younger generation. Like that's what's that's what's really in my heart. Wow. Wow. First I wanna say, um Thank you for sharing and thank you uh, for being open with us. Um, this interview is uh, very important to me and it's also very important to us collectively um, because of the impact that you have made um, in our lives and um, not just in the community, but personally, you know, um, I've called you mom for so long, right? Cause I spent so much time at yeah. your house um, sneaking in the refrigerator, eating up your food and uh, <laughs> wrestling your boys, you know, um, <laughs> but you are a legend for for so many different reasons and um um you know we're honored to have you on the show to be able to get a chance to um kind of highlight some of the things that you've done you know um an interview a, one single interview is not enough to capture all of your accomplishments um as a professional um as a woman as a mother right um so we just want you to know first that we really do appreciate you uh, I did want to ask um, one question because you mentioned something about um, the folks who are who are getting more seasoned, um, feeling like has beens and right and 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 wondering if the generations um, after you all are learning and knowing uh, the history and knowing what happened and knowing the ways that y'all paved and knowing the doors that y'all opened um, so that we can do the things that we are doing now. Um, I wanted to ask you. Um, how do you think, um, what are some of the best ways for us to um, capture those moments and to share that history um, and to make sure that the generations, our generation even, and generations after us um, know those stories? I just, I think that we, when we look around our local community, we see a lot of, um, well, I see, a lot of meetings. I see a lot of committees. I see a lot of work groups. I see a lot of town halls. I see a lot of different um, ways that people are getting together. And I think that if we were ever, ever able to have, a, you know, a focused um, intergenerational, you know, can we talk? Can we talk? And, and, and really be able to sit down and and talk about what happened before, you know, what's happening currently and what, 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 what we want to see happen in the future. I think that would be a powerful, um, a way of us being able to come together so that 
everyone feels heard. Because I know maybe some of the younger generation is thinking, well, we don't want to hear those stories. You know, we we know or, you know, uh, it's now, it's our turn, it's our time. Um, And so, and then, you know, a lot of, like, like I see a lot of people in the older generation, like, I literally sit back and watch people just give up. Like, there's there's nothing else for me to say or I'm not being listened to or heard in the way that I really want to be heard or I'm not really feeling that, you know, the young folks really know my story and know what my contributions, you know, have been. And so I just think creating spaces where we come together and we really talk about and we give equal time for each group to share their perspective and share what they want, you know, the rest of the group to know, I think that that would be, that would be one way of at least taking an initial step around, around this work. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's something we can definitely start to do. I also want to chime in. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I also want to chime in and say thank you for your contributions. Before this interview, my brother and I, my sister, my sister, who is also one of your students, kind of was talking about how often we had had like black teachers in Madison. And it wasn't very often that we had had them. So for me, I really do appreciate you being a part of this interview and your willingness to talk with us. Thank you. I I appreciate the opportunity. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to say, and I don't know if it's been captured, is just the importance of my family, the importance of my mother, the importance of my grandmother and grandfather, and the importance of my husband, and um, just just the commitment and longevity of our relationship. And my boys, you know, they're not perfect, but I'm really proud of the men that they have become. And one of the things that I'm most proud of is that I work, well, my husband and I work diligently to make sure that all three of them, you know, graduated with at least an undergraduate degree. And I'm really proud that we have three black men who accomplished that. And I really want to just, you know, the, the audience to know that my family has been remarkable. They have been supportive. I talked about health issues. Um, and I think that everybody has really tried to contribute to helping me be able to do some of the things that I've done in my life. And so I would not have been able to do it without them and without their support. Speaking of being a mother, can you like drop some gems for us for like new mothers or mothers who are right now in this transition of trying to teach their kids things that are important or things that they need to know or things that maybe generations before them weren't able to give them? Well, um, I would, I always would tell my kids, so we have a long foyer in our house and I would say, you know, this is where your great grandmother started and this is where I would move my body and this is where she ended. And then here's where your, your grandmother and, you know, your grandfather started and, and this is where they ended and, and here's where mama and daddy are and, we always expect for you to just advance us forward, advance us forward in the best way that you can. 
Now, I don't mean to put any pressure on you, but I, I also want to make sure that you're digging deep and being the best that you can be um, and, and, and advance the family forward. So we, you know, had our uh, affirmation at the academy. I am somebody. I'm capable and lovable. I'm teachable, and therefore I can learn. I can do anything when I try. I'll be the best that I can be each day. I will not waste time because it's too valuable and I'm too precious and bright. I am somebody. I am somebody. I am somebody. I am somebody. I made sure that they left home each day with that message, you know, inside of them. And again, I'm not professing that my sons are perfect. They are not. But those are some of the the lessons. And, I, you know, that there's a higher power that, that, that they need to, when things get rough, and mama can't help you and daddy can't help you, you know, you can get on your knees and you can pray and you can ask for help and ask for strength and ask for guidance. And so those are some of the the key lessons that I really tried to teach them and also using their father as an example. Again, he's not a perfect man, but he is a very good man and a very good example. And, and so, you know, really inspiring them and, encouraging them to look to their dad, to look to some of the ways that their dad demonstrated in our relationship. Um, and, you know, also looking at some of the things that had been passed down to him from his dad and, you know, from his dad. And so those are some of the main things that I raised my boys on. But I was one of the biggest things was I wanted to make sure that they knew who they were. And oftentimes when people would come up against them, like in school, or they would come to me and say, you know, I wasn't rattled by that or I didn't fall because I knew I knew who I was. I know who I am. And so that was a really big um, thread. Those were threads throughout their upbringing. Um, well, mom, thanks for sharing that. Um, I just want to say, um, that from my perspective, uh, you, um, you raised some outstanding men of similar ideals, um, some amazing men, uh, who stand on the cardinal principles of manhood, scholarship, perseverance, and uplift. Um, yeah. you got some cute dogs in your home and I just wanted to say that, uh, they gotta be great cause them the bros. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. is my douche dog. <laughs> Yes, I do have some Omega men in my home. Yes, I have three. I have three. I my husband, my middle son, Armani, and my youngest son, Ari. Our Omega men. Root to the outbreaths. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes. Well, we and I have to mention I'm an I'm an AKA, so <laughs> let them know. P and G love. Let the parents connect. P and G love. Yes. Well, we wanted to wrap this interview up and ask you, was there anything else that you wanted to share or that you wanted people to know? No, I think I've shared a lot. Um, and I hope people have gotten a chance to know me a little bit better. And also I hope that um, we will be able to maybe sit down and have that can we talk opportunity to learn more about each other because it's not just about me, it's about us. And I would love to to learn more about other people's stories that I may not know. I feel like I know a lot of stories in the community, but there are some that I don't know. And I welcome that opportunity. 
Um, I also want to say consider attending the Black History Education Conference because we can certainly get to know each other a little deeper on that level. I want to thank you all, Carla and Richard, for this opportunity. I'm very thankful. Thank you for your um, gestures towards funding people to attend the conference. Again, I think it's only going to make us better. And um, as I as I say in my, at the end of my emails, I'm visualizing the future, and I am inspired. Most definitely, most definitely. I do want to ask you one more question. Um, we we're, we're trying to ask this question to all of our um, our guests. Um, so this is the Born to Create podcast, and so we want to ask, uh, what does creativity mean to you? I don't really know how to put it in words, but I know that it's inside of me. I know creativity is inside of me, so I'm the type of person where you might give me a pencil and say, turn it into something, and some people get stifled by that, and I get excited about the possibilities. So I think creativity is about seeing beyond what's before you and seeing the possibilities. And that's how I've lived my life. The possibilities in the children that I've taught, the possibilities in my marriage, the possibilities in how um, I've raised my children and what they have become and who they have become, the possibilities in overcoming my health issues and looking for ways that bring me joy and knowing that God is going to um, create even more ideas in my mind and my body and my spirit about how I can touch lives. And so I, I think I've arrived at creativity is possibility. That's what it is. Cre- creativity is possibility. That's cold. That is quotable. We're going <laughs> to have to use it as a clip. We want to say thank you for your willingness to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, my name is Carla Williams, and we've been talking with Andrell Davis. You've been listening to Born to Create with co-hosts. Richard Jones, Jr. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Born to Create. We're your hosts, Richard Jones, Jr. and Carla Williams. If you know of someone in the Madison area who should be featured on our show, send us an email at oddlyarranged.gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to Oddly Arranged Media on all social media platforms to stay up to date on all things Born to Create. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.